Today's Bible reading is from 1 Thessalonians chapter 1. It's on page 923 on the Pew Bibles. Paul, Silas and Timothy, to the church of the Thessalonians in God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, grace and peace to you. Thanksgiving for the Thessalonians' faith. We always thank God for all of you and continually mention you in our prayers. We remember before our God and Father your work produced by faith, your labour prompted by love, and your endurance inspired by hope in our Lord Jesus Christ. For we know, brothers and sisters, loved by God, that he had chosen you, because our gospel came to you not simply with words, but also with power, with the Holy Spirit and deep conviction. You know how we lived among you for your sake. You became imitators of us and of the Lord, for you welcomed the message in the midst of severe suffering with the joy given by the Holy Spirit. And so you became a model to all the believers in Macedonia and Achaia. The Lord's message rang out from you, not only in Macedonia and Achaia, your faith in God has become known everywhere. Therefore, we do not need to say anything about it. For they themselves report what kind of reception you gave us. They tell how you, they tell how you turned from God, turned to God from idols to serve the living and true God, and to wait for His Son from heaven, whom He raised from the dead, Jesus, who rescues us from the coming wrath. Thanks be to God. Thanks, Liam. Uh, please keep your Bibles open as we uh, turn our attention now to 1 Thessalonians. Uh, let me pray for us. Lord, Heavenly Father, we thank you so much that you are a God who continues to speak and to save through the proclamation of your gospel. We thank you for the uh, Christians that you saved in Thessalonica some 2,000 years ago and the model that they are still to us today. Father, may our church and our lives uh, be gospel-centered as we seek to imitate them as they imitated Paul and our Lord Jesus Christ. For we ask in his name. Amen. Well, I've never wanted to be a fashion model, and even if I wanted to be a fashion model, I'm sure you wouldn't want me to be a fashion model. I mean, who would want to see me in magazines and on billboards with my six-pack uh, deeply buried under my one-pack? Uh, even that would be too much for Kylie to bear. But modelling is something a lot of people want to do, even if they don't have what it takes. Uh, Models One is one of Europe's leading modelling agencies, and a couple of years ago they were interviewed by the BBC uh, with this question. What does it actually take to be a model? Uh, every year they would uh, get about 20,000 applications. They'd sign up about 100, and 15 or 20 uh, would stick it out for a couple of years. Uh, that means only about... 0.1% of all wannabe models make it. And making it as a model might mean uh, modeling for a few years uh, before moving on to become a stylist uh, or a yoga instructor. But if you still want to give modeling a go, uh, then models one have some requirements that you need to consider. You have to look after your skin and your hair. You've got to be confident. But one of the most important requirements is this. You've got to learn to cope with rejection because they're rejected from more jobs than they'll accept. You see, getting a, 
uh, a modeling gig uh, uh, is not everyone's cup of tea. And not everyone's cut out to be a model, even if they've got the looks for it. So have you ever wanted to be a fashion model? What about a model Christian? What about being in a model church? Today we begin a new series on 1 Thessalonians, which takes us all the way to Christmas. And in today's passage, we find that Paul says something about the Thessalonian Christians that he doesn't say about any other church that he writes to that we have in our Bibles. And that is, they're a model church. Uh, We see this in verse 7. And so you became, you Thessalonians, you Christians who meet in Thessalonica, you became a model to all believers in Macedonia and Achaia. Uh, When Models 1 was asked about the type of models they choose, this is what they said. You have to feed to what consumers want. Uh, They will always say they want something different, but actually when it comes to it, you portray the woman that they aspire to be. That is, models reflect what our society deem as aspirational. Uh, this is the hair and makeup that you should be uh, wearing. This is the type of skin that you, you should have. This is the body shape that you'd want. Uh, when we look at a model, we want to see it as a reflection of us. And since no one aspires to have a one-pack like mine, I'll never become a model. You see, models reflect our society's values what we deem as beautiful and aspirational, and the fact that only 0.1% of wannabe models make it just screams impossible. And maybe that's how you feel about being a Christian. Maybe you think to yourself, I'm not a model Christian. I have too many problems and too many hidden sins. Uh, We can't be a model church. We're far too small. But what I hope uh, you'll see in this series uh, that will be helped to see is that we might not make it as fashion models and become an inspiration to this secular world, but we can follow the model church, the Thessalonian church, and look to them so that we might bring honour and glory to God as a church in the 21st century. The success rate for a fashion model might be 0.1%. For those who apply. But in God's goodness and in his grace towards us, the success rate for us to become model Christians is 100%. We can all become model Christians. We can become a model church just like the Thessalonians. You see, unlike a fashion model, you don't have to win the genetic lottery and have the perfect skin, the long legs. You don't have to be perfect in every way in your appearance because you have Christ. And like a fashion model, you don't have to fear rejection over and over again and be judged based on your appearance. You don't have to understand every doctrine in detail and become a perfect person and conquer every sin so long as you have the gospel. And that's what we'll see in 1 Thessalonians. As we study 1 Thessalonians over the next coming weeks, we'll see that they're not perfect. They certainly don't have all their doctrines sorted, yet they are labelled by Paul the Apostle as the model church. Why? Why the, why, why the Thessalonians in, Corinth, uh, in Thessalonica sorry, a model church? Why does Paul call them a model church? Is it because they've got the three Bs all covered? Now, you might be wondering what the three Bs. 
Well, the three Bs are the big budgets, the big bum count, and the big building project. Budget bum building. But as we'll see, that couldn't be further from the truth. You see, as we turn to 1 Thessalonians, and we read of the background of the Thessalonian church in Acts chapter 17, we're brought back to the first century, about 20 years after Jesus' death and resurrection. Thessalonica in the first century was the capital of Macedonia, which, is the, which was the largest city of modern-day Greece. And in this great city, Paul and Silas only managed to stay in this city for about three weeks. We see this in Acts chapter 17, verse 2. As was his custom, Paul went into the synagogue, and so that means that there was a Jewish community there established. He goes to the synagogue, and how long is he there for? Only on three Sabbath days he reasoned with them from Scripture. He's only there for three Saturdays, explaining and proving that the Messiah had to suffer and rise from the dead. So he opens up the Old Testament Scriptures, their Scriptures, and explains that who they've been looking for, the Messiah, the promised King, is Jesus. You see, this was a church planting uh, activity on steroids. Within three weeks, a small church was formed, made of some believing Jews and some God-fearing Gentiles and quite a few prominent women, we're told in verse 4. But Paul's ministry in this great city was short-lived because he was driven out of the city by some jealous Jews, Jews who refused to hear and refused to believe that Jesus is the Messiah. So in Acts 17.5 we read, But other Jews were jealous. So they rounded up some bad characters from the marketplace, formed a mob, and started rioting the city. They rushed to Jason's house in search of Paul and Silas in order to bring them out to the crowd. And you know what they were going to do to him, don't you? You see, the Caesarina church was most likely a small gathering of Christians, maybe not much larger than ours, maybe similar to ours, with kids running around, which is wonderful, isn't it? That's what the church was like, like our church now. But they weren't gathered in a big building like ours, they were gathering in someone's home like Jason's, where people of all ages, of all sizes, came together to study scripture, to know Jesus, to love one another. And by the time Paul writes to them from Corinth, uh, they were, uh, this church in Thessalonica was probably only a few months old, maybe a year old. It was a very young church. And yet Paul would call this small church, this church uh, that, that met in Jason's house, a model church. Why is that? Well, as we will see in today's passage, there are two broad themes that mark the Thessalonian church as a model church. And they are, they lived out the gospel. The Thessalonian Christians lived out the gospel. And second, they welcomed the gospel. They lived out the gospel and they welcomed the gospel. And so why don't we have a look at today's passage. So the letter begins, as most letters did at that time, with the author to the recipients with a greeting. And so here we have Paul, Silas, and Timothy. But most likely this is Paul penning his letter with Silas and Timothy with him. And they know Silas personally and Timothy personally, as we'll see over the coming weeks. Paul, Silas, and Timothy to the church of the Thessalonians, the recipients. In God the Father, this was no ordinary gathering. Church, church, the word church was just a generic word for gathering. But what kind of church is this? What kind of gathering is this? Well, this is the gathering in, the, in God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. This is a Christian gathering. 
Grace and peace to you. The grace of the gospel, the peace, the shalom of God. If you read Paul's letters, you'll notice that he begins his letters uh, to the churches by praising God or thanking God. And 1 Thessalonians is no different. Uh, 1 Thessalonians was probably uh, his second letter that we have. Galatians is, is the only one that might be earlier than 1 Thessalonians. So this is a very early letter. You see, you might, uh, Paul might go on to praise them now for being a model church. Good on you guys for being a model church. You are wonderful for being a model church. But he, he doesn't say that. He, 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 before he even talks about them being a model church, he gives thanks to God. Why does he do that? Well, he does that because who they are and who they become, the model that they are now to the churches, is not ultimately because of how good they are, but how good God is. So verse 2, we always thank God for all of you and continually mention you in our prayers. Uh, a fashion model seeks the praise and the glory and the honour for themselves. Look at me. Look at how beautiful I am. Look at how amazing, look how gorgeous I am. Look how prosperous, look how, how wealthy I am. Look at me and follow me, copy me. But no, Paul rightly gives all the praise and honour and glory to God for the Thessalonians. He doesn't praise them, he praises God. The one who has extended his grace to them, the one who has brought peace amongst them, the one who has created this church in Thessalonica. But there's something specific about the Thessalonian Christians that Paul remembers, that he brings to mind. And that's, and that's what he's going to share now. But, but what he brings to mind in his remembrance of them, in his time with them, is also what he's heard about them. And it's to do with the way they lived out the gospel. Their faith, love, and hope. Verse 3. We remember before our God and Father your work produced by faith, your labor prompted by love, and your endurance inspired by hope in our Lord Jesus Christ. John Calvin, who you might remember from our recent Reformation series, describes this verse as, that, as this. A brief definition of true Christianity. I think he's right, don't you? A Christian is someone who has faith, love, and hope. A Christian is someone who lives out the gospel in faith, love, and hope. You see, you can't have one or two of these things and not all three and claim to be a Christian. You can't say that you have faith in Christ and hope of the resurrection, but you don't love your neighbor. You can't say that you love your neighbor and have the hope of heaven, but not have faith that salvation is in Christ alone. It's a helpful reminder for us, isn't it? So if you ever wonder how you're going as a Christian, you can reflect on how you are going with your faith in Christ, your love for your neighbor, and your hope in the resurrection. These three things are fundamentals to Christian living. Faith. Do you, do you trust in Jesus alone for your salvation? Does your faith lead you to do good works in response to God's grace? Love, do, do you love your neighbor as yourself? Is your labor out of love and hope? Do you look forward to Jesus' return? Do you persevere through suffering? 
In fact, the Thessalonian Christians weren't just a model church because Paul's witness firsthand as he remembers his time with them of their faith, love and hope. But faith, love and hope is such a mark of their Christian fellowship that everyone knows about it. Not just the people down the road, but everyone throughout the countries around them. Have a look at from verse 7 to 8. And so you became a model to all the believers in Macedonia, that is, modern-day Greece, the entire country, and Machaia, the adjacent country. The Lord's message rang out from you, not only in Macedonia and Achaia, your faith in God has become known everywhere. Isn't that extraordinary? From this little house church where Paul spent three weeks is now a model church Everywhere, from Athens to Corinth, from Philippi to Rome, churches are talking about them, about their uh, work produced by faith, their labor prompted by love, and their endurance inspired by hope. So the church in Corinth might ask, oh, well, what does it look like to love? And someone in the congregation will say, hey, hey I know. I- I've been to the church in Thessalonica. Uh, Look, look at how they love. Look at the Thessalonians. They, they open up their homes to Paul and Silas and Timothy. At the risk of being arrested, they would open up their homes. They would show hospitality. They will go the extra mile. That's how you love. You see, verse 8, this is what Paul heard. Therefore, we do not need to say anything about it, for they themselves recall what kind of reception you gave us. And then the church in Athens might ask, how can we evangelize this pagan city? What's the strategy? I mean, why would anyone in our great city of Athens stop worshipping pagan idols and going to the temple of Aphrodite and worship the one and true God? Why would anyone do that? What's the strategy? What do we do? And someone would say, I heard something about the Christians in Thessalonica. Look at how they turned to God. They were worshipping idols and now they've turned to worship the one and true God. And so Paul says in verse 9, they tell how you turn to God from idols to serve the living and true God. And there's someone in Rome I might ask, how can, how can we persevere through persecution? The emperor's coming down on us. He's arresting our brothers and sisters. He's killing us and the innocent children are dying at his sword. What do we do? How do we persevere? Do we cling on to Christ or not? And someone would say, look at the Thessalonian Christians, because they persevered with hope. Verse 10, and wait, and to wait for his son from heaven. This is what Paul's heard about them. You're waiting. For the Son from heaven, whom he raised from the dead, Jesus, who rescues us from the coming wrath. Do you notice all three examples that Paul gives about them, that he's heard about them? The three themes are the same themes that we saw in verse 2. What he experienced firsthand and what he's heard about them is about their faith, love and hope. You see, the Thessalonian Christians didn't have the easy life. When the jealous Jews came to Jason's house to try uh, to find Paul and Silas, they didn't find him. So what did they do? They dragged Jason and some 
young believers to face the Lord. So in Acts chapter 17 again from verse 6, But when they did not find them, they dragged Jason and some other believers before the city officials, shouting, These men have caused trouble all over the world, have now come here, and Jason has welcomed them into his house. They all defying Caesar's decree, saying that there is another king, one called Jesus. When they heard this, the crowd and the city officials were thrown into turmoil. Then they made Jason and the others postpone and let them go. And so what do we have here? What is the situation? What you have are young, innocent Christians willing to open up their doors to shelter Paul and Silas, to protect them at the risk of their own lives. That's love. They're willing to be dragged before officials to be falsely accused and risk imprisonment for the sake of Jesus. That's faith. They're willing to postpone and suffer for the gospel. That's hope. And that's what model Christians are willing to do, to persevere in faith, love and hope, even when it's hard to live out the gospel in their lives every day. And I want to encourage you here because that defines you. That defines our church. That's been our experience, hasn't it? There's been so much that has happened for us personally and also as a church and what has kept us coming together week after week is the gospel. It's the faith in you, the love in you, the hope that you have in Christ that has been outworking through you, just like the church in Thessalonica 2,000 years ago. And so don't worry about not looking like Kim Kardashian, even though I don't know why anyone would want to look like her. But keep modelling yourselves after the Christians in one Thessalonica, uh, in one in Thessalonica, just as you've been doing. Live out the gospel in faith, love, and hope. Now, if one of the ways in which the Thessalonians are a model is the way in which they lived out the gospel in faith, love, and hope, then the second way we see in this passage that the Thessalonian church is a model church is that they welcomed the gospel now this is quite remarkable if you think about it you see before paul came to town it's likely that not one person in thessalonica had ever heard of the name jesus it's not like it is today wherever you go in the world you'd be hard pressed to find a city with people who's never heard of Jesus or Christians. But here you had a city 2,000 years ago, miles away from Jerusalem, in a completely different part of the Roman Empire with its own culture and their own gods. So it's probably fair to say that not one of them have heard of Jesus and had ever met a Christian in their entire lives. Yet when Paul came to proclaim the gospel and preach Christ crucified, some believed They stopped worshipping their idols and stopped going to their temples and were even willing to suffer for it. Now, how is that possible? I mean, three weeks isn't a very long time to plant a church and establish a Christian presence, let alone become a model church for the entire region. Well, Paul tells us why from verse 4. Ultimately, the Thessalonian Christians became a model church Because in God's love, he chose to save them. 
In God's love, he chose to save them. Verse 4. For we know, brothers and sisters, loved by God, that he has chosen you. How does he know that he's, God's chosen them? Because our gospel came out to you, not simply with words, but also with power, with the Holy Spirit and deep conviction. You see here that God loves and chooses to save some. He doesn't love and choose to save all. He loves and chooses to save some. And those God chooses to save, they will hear the gospel and receive it with the Holy Spirit. Now notice two other things about this verse. God loves and chooses to save some, and the way in which he saves is through the proclamation of the gospel. You see, when the word is preached, it comes with power to those who are chosen. When the gospel is proclaimed, the Holy Spirit is at work in those who believe. That's why Paul says in Ephesians chapter 6 that the sword of the Spirit is the word of God. So if you go to a huge evangelistic rally, for example, like many years ago, like many thousands did at a Billy Graham crusade, ultimately it wasn't Billy Graham that saved people, not by his clarity or the power of arguments or the depth of his convictions. These were good and helpful, but ultimately it was through the faithful preaching of God's word, together with the Holy Spirit's work in convicting people's hearts that saved thousands upon thousands. Ultimately, you see, it's God who saves, and God saves through the preaching of his word and the work of his spirit. And I wonder whether you believe that. Do you believe that when you're at work and you turn to your colleague and you share your testimony with them and you're stumbling over your words and you're feeling incoherent as they ask you questions, that if you have shared the gospel, then the gospel has gone out with power and the Holy Spirit's at work. Do you believe that when you invite a friend to church, even if I'm not very funny, but if they hear the gospel faithfully proclaimed, that the word goes out with power and that the Holy Spirit's at work? You see, we don't need miracles. We don't need Jesus to reappear so that more will be saved. We need the proclamation of the gospel. God saves through his word And he makes this possible by the work of his spirit, even in the midst of persecution. So 1 Thessalonians from verse 5 continues, You know how we lived among you for your sake. You became imitators of us and of the Lord, for you welcomed the message in the midst of severe suffering with the joy given by the Holy Spirit. You see, a lot of people try to water down the gospel. They try to make the gospel more palatable. Believe in Jesus and you'll be prosperous. Believe in Jesus and you'll get this and that. Your wishes will come true. You get all these things. It'll be like heaven on earth. But when the Thessalonians believed, they were suffering. They were suffering through persecution. You see, if we truly believe that God saves those he chooses, we won't water down the gospel. We will trust that he is powerful enough and he will save those he chooses. 
We don't need to water down the gospel. Believe in Jesus and you will suffer. Believe in Jesus and you will be persecuted. What a message. You see, that's what the Thessalonians heard. Even though the Thessalonians were being persecuted, they still believed because God saves those he chooses to save. Even though they were suffering, they were filled with joy because the Holy Spirit gave them joy in Christ. Because suffering for the gospel isn't abnormal, but is part and parcel of the Christian walk. Martin Luther, another reformer that you heard about recently, asked this pointed question. If Christ wore a crown of thorns, why should his followers expect only a crown of roses? You see, if you're a Christian and you haven't suffered for the gospel, then that is abnormal. Christians suffer just as Christ has suffered. And so the Thessalonians looked to the Apostle Paul and imitated him and welcomed the message. The Thessalonians looked to Jesus and imitated him and were filled with joy given by the Holy Spirit. As a model church, they don't water down the gospel to make it palatable. They don't offer a gospel without suffering and promise heaven on earth. They trust in the love of God. They trust in the power of his word. They trust in the work of the Holy Spirit to save, even in the midst of suffering and persecution. And so must we. We must never water down the gospel. We must keep proclaiming Christ crucified and that being a Christian will mean carrying your cross and following Christ. It will mean suffering and maybe death. Maybe not here. Maybe overseas. But it will mean suffering of one kind or other. When I was a high school student, I used to visit a large church. I still went to my home church, but I, I went with a friend to another large church. At that time, some friends of mine were concerned about me visiting this other church. And I wasn't sure why. At one point, I remember wondering to myself, is this a genuine, God-fearing Bible-loving church. I was really confused, and at that time, I wasn't yet a Christian. I was confused about some of the things they were saying, what they were practicing, and I wasn't sure if it was from the Bible, and I couldn't really see sometimes whether what they said married to the way they lived. But I reasoned to myself that this church had to be genuine and true. Do you know why? Because it was massive. It was a huge church. The size of the church was probably two, three thousand at least. So I thought to myself, since it's so big, surely it's genuine. Otherwise God wouldn't have blessed them so much. Surely so many people doing the same thing couldn't be wrong. But I was wrong, wasn't I? You see, the criteria that I used to assess whether a church was genuine or not was its size. But what did Paul do in today's passage? He didn't look at the size of the church. He looked at the life of the church. He didn't play the numbers game. He remembered their faith, love, and hope. 
He didn't hear about how great their music was or how fantastic their leaders are. He heard about their faith, love and hope. You see, friends, the church in Thessalonica was a model church because they not only welcomed the gospel, they lived out the gospel. Put simply, they were a gospel-centered church as they trusted in God to save through the proclamation of the gospel and as they lived out the gospel every day in faith, love and hope, they brought him glory and praise and honour, for which the apostle thanks God for, for which the apostle labels them as the model church. So friends, let's aspire not to become a Kardashian or a model of this world, but let's continue to aspire to be a gospel-centred church like the church in Thessalonica so many years ago. Amen.